First Peter chapter five. We're going to look at verses one through four. We're blazing through the text tonight. Verses one through four. We're also going to take side trips to John 10 and Matthew 20. Okay, I think most of you could finish the, uh, this sentence. Peter's talking to a suffering church, suffering under persecution, that kind of stuff. And he's been talking to them about suffering and glory. Glory. Peter's speaking to a suffering church. And t- tonight, chapter 5, he turns to the leaders. Look, he says, First uh, Peter chapter 5, verse 1. We'll just read through the text uh, first. The elders who are among you, I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears... You will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. So, tonight's message is particularly, uh, that the context is especially for anyone who's in leadership, but I wanted to remind you, pretty much, I would, I would think, everybody in this room is a leader in some way, shape, form, fashion. In one sense, every single one of us is leading people in one direction or the other, right? And I was thinking, you know, the, the best way to look, it's always the best way to look at the scripture is, Lord, how, do you, how does this apply to me? Uh, I want you to just take a second maybe. Look at verse 2. It says, shepherd the flock which is among you. And in verse 3 it says, those who are entrusted to you. I want you to take a second and realize, I bet you that you can think of the flock that God has among you. Little old you. It says, those who entrusted to you, actually that's the, the word in verse 3, is the word they use for casting lots. So it seems kind of random, and yet, what, what happens when you cast lots? It seems random, but all of a sudden, oh, I guess what God wants to happen is, is manifest, right? So the idea is, maybe the very first thing this tonight is for everybody to go, hmm, okay, who is the flock that God has put among me? That he's dropped me in the middle of, seemingly random, but that he has for me to, uh, to lead or to encourage, that kind of thing. Okay? Uh, maybe the, the flock of God among you is just one little lamb. Maybe the flock of God among you have sticky fingerprints and runny noses. Maybe the flock of God among you is a shut-in or someone that you work with. So take just a second before we begin and kind of identify perhaps the flock of God among you, those whom he has entrusted to you. Someone or someones that are within your sphere of influence, okay? Matter of fact, maybe they're not even sheep yet. Maybe they're still goats. But what is God good at? Turning goats into sheep. Okay? Um, Peter then, chapter 5, turns his attention to leaders. And I think if we understand him, that can include all of us to, to different degrees. Okay? I got four uh, F's for you for an outline. How's that for a report card? <laughs> four F's. <clears throat> Some of you are used to it, maybe. Okay. Um, verse 1 Peter says to the leaders, 
Look, remember that you are just a fellow sheep. Verse 2, he says, remember to feed the flock. Verses 2 and 3, he talks about the frame of mind of an under-shepherd. That is, one who is shepherding until the chief shepherd appears. And then verse 4, he speaks about the finish line to focus on. Okay? You're just fellow sheep, feed the flock, have the right frame of mind, and focus on the finish line. All right? Here we go. Verse 1. Peter says, first thing, uh, to the leaders in the church. By the way, just as frame reference, this letter, they think, was considered a, a general letter. So this wasn't written to the Ephesians or the Galatians. This was written to the whole worldwide persecuted church. Okay? So he, he writes to these elders of these different uh, churches. And he says, I think, first of all, the thing to, that he's focusing on in verse 1 is, look, you are just a fellow sheep. Well, look, at, look at it, verse 1. The elders who are among you, I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. First thing to remember as a leader in any uh, capacity, whether it's in your home, your business, your church, your neighborhood, first thing to remember is you are just a fellow sheep. Matter of fact, welcome to Calvary Chapel Fellowship. (laughs) I worked all week on that. Peter writes this. Of course, he's writing first to pastors, right? To the shepherds, the elders, the overseers. All of those words are interchangeable uh, in the New Testament, but they're most often associated with pastors. So the first one in in Peter's sights tonight in this room would be me, right? Um, He says to me tonight, Remember, pastor, leader, you're not all that special. As good looking as you are, Doug. <laughs> no, he says, he says, look, remember that you are a fellow sheep. As good looking as you are, you're not all that special. Um, you're not all that different. You're not elevated. Primarily, your first the first way that you're known to God is as a sheep, not as a shepherd. Matter of fact, I want you to notice all the clues that we find in, uh, in the first three verses. I want you guys to do that, that thing where uh, I'll read and let you guys read. I want to show you all the, the clues to the idea of fellowship. Fellowship, that is, we're kind of all in this together, um, that God is trusting you with his sheep, those that are among you, But don't forget that you're still a sheep. Look at it. I'll let you guys, when I pause, you guys read the words, okay? The elders who are among you, that means they're just, they're surrounding you. You're just kind of one of them. The elders who are among you, I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory. The word partaker is koinonia, so that's another fellowship word that will be revealed. He says, shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, not as being lords over those entrusted to you, right? Meaning that they're just in your midst, but it says, but being examples to the flock, okay? Let me just give you a rundown of those different words. Basically, twice in this passage, Peter says the words among you, as in sprinkled in among you. Uh, He's not calling to outside professional pastors that have come into all of these congregations. No, he's saying there are there are folks that 
um, as they served alongside you, God kind of said, look, I want that one to help lead right among you, just part of the family, one of the sheep. Um, Verse three, he says, entrusted to you. This is huge, guys. The idea is don't ever forget they are his sheep. They're not your sheep. And then it says the, the phrase examples to the flock. Look, you can only be an example if you are one of them, right? Um, I think Peter is saying in verse 3, look, you are a sheep and they are our sheep. Lead them by example, right? If you want to show them, walk in the way that they should walk, right? And then say, now, follow, do what I do. Let me give you an illustration. It's not like Peter's saying to them, look, they're sheep and you're a rocket scientist, right? If a rocket scientist um, says to the sheep, hey, Walk this way. It's not going to work. But if a sheep can just go, okay, just follow me. Um, to me, it's, it's very clear that one of the first things that Peter wants to remind us all of, even if he's put you in a place of leadership, is you are just a fellow sheep. Matter of fact, I love it because did you notice in verse 1, he practices what he preaches. He refers to himself. Do you see it? Verse 1, I who am a fellow elder... He did not say, I who am the grand poobah. I who am the pope. Take note of that. He did not say, I who am the most righteous reverend Petros. No. He said, hey, leaders, I need to talk with you. I who am a fellow elder, just like you. So, by example and by exhortation, Peter says, I think, first of all, to anyone who leads... Remember, you're just part of the fellowship. You're just one of the guys or the girls. I personally have had some people sometimes, you know, wonder why we kind of are so low-key with our, our leadership. I personally love it when people come in and they can't tell you, oh, there's the pastor, there's, there's the guy, or those are the leaders because they're all wearing the, you know, robes or the crowns or whatever. Right? Or they're all sitting on a big dais in the back. Right? I love it that people come in and, and I, it happens all the time. They're like, are you the pastor? <laughs> they say it sort of like that. I'm like, yeah, you're all, I'm all you get. The, the idea kind of that sometimes goes around, I think, is, well, who's in charge here? We kind of need to know who's in charge. The answer is Jesus is in charge. And I really believe the more we get out of his way and let him lead, the more awesome it is. The more invisible the leadership is, in, in a lot of senses, the, the better. So here's the application, though. You're like, okay, well, that's interesting, but how does this apply to me? Well, how do you see yourself? Do you see yourself as a great leader whose potential has yet to be tapped by those less visionary than you? Do you see yourself as a fine specimen just waiting to be discovered or a fellow sheep that's available to do whatever God asks you to do? He says, verse one, the elders who are among you, I exhort, I who am a fellow elder. And then this next phrase, I think is kind of an aside, but it's such a a glorious aside. and, And I'm sure there's at least one, perhaps more folks tonight that 
can be encouraged by this. He says, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. You guys see those, those words again? It's that dynamic duo, that familiar duo, suffering and glory. You guys are going to get it eventually. We're going to say it so many times you're going to get it. Suffering and glory. They are the dynamic duo. They go together like Batman and Robin, like salt and pepper, like government and taxes. <laughs> they go together. Throughout the New Testament, you see it in other, other letters as well, but especially in this letter, Peter, as you go through this book, when you see that word suffering, you don't have to look very far and you see that word glory. Peter, again, I think it's an aside because he's, he's exhorting the leaders, but I think he's saying... Uh, just as a reminder, in this time of crisis, says, um, I've witnessed both. I witnessed the suffering of our Lord, and I witnessed the glory. Peter says, we know, you know, we can presume that he was there. We know that he, he was a coward, but it says that, you know, in the, the time when it counted, but it says that he followed afar off. I don't think it's a stretch to think that he, at least at some point, saw Jesus laboring to breathe and the spikes in his hands, spikes in his feet. So I'm crying out for the first time in all of eternity, Father, where have you gone? Why have you left me? He saw the suffering. But Peter says, don't forget, I also saw the glory. The glory of, of his resurrected body, but even before that, the Mount of Transfiguration. You remember? Uh, you can turn there if you want. Um, I, di- I didn't clue you in on this one. Matthew 17 says, verse 1, Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, the author of our letter, James and John, his brother. They le- he led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. And of course, you know, Peter put his foot in his mouth during that time. But Peter here is speaking to leaders, and I think this is important. Don't forget he's speaking to leaders in a time of crisis. And he's talking about, talking about suffering that is sure to come, but he says, don't forget there's glory on the other side. Tell me, if persecution, real persecution, were to break out here in Lake County, for, how, for whatever reason, it was open season on Christians, who in this room do you think would have the biggest target on his back? Me. Right? Take out the, the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. Peter is talking to guys who are under the gun. They've got a target on their back. And I think that's why he says, okay, yes, I was a witness to the suffering, but I was also a witness to the glory. And let me tell you, it's worth it. Maybe that's what you, you need to hear tonight. The suffering throughout this book suffering he has the ability to turn that into glory and Peter would tell you there's no comparison it's worth it okay he says verse 1 the elders who are among you I exhort I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker koinonios that's fellowship again a partaker of the glory that will be revealed he says look I'm, I'm in the, the fellowship of the elders I'm in the fellowship, the fellowship of the sufferers, and 
no doubt I will be in the fellowship of Christ in glory. So maybe that's your application. Maybe you are right now in the fellowship of suffering. Peter says, hang on. Hold on. Romans 8 to 17 says, if we, if children, we are then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Suffering of the fellowship, uh, fellowship of the suffering, fellowship of the glory. So Peter says first, remember that you are just one of the fellow sheep. Then he says, verse two, feed the flock of God which is among you. You see it? Verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you. The word shepherd there as boy may know it means uh, to, to feed to tend to supply for a flock of sheep. And I was thinking if you look at any shepherd you know uh, even today they wear a lot of hats I think right? They're protector they're a guide they're comforter but far and away, the biggest responsibility of a shepherd is to feed the flock. The very best thing that a pastor can do for God's sheep is to feed them. That is my primary responsibility as a pastor. That is your primary responsibility with the flock that he has among you, is to feed the sheep. Um, we, we, we believe so much in that. That's, I don't know if, you know, probably somebody else said it first, but I, I hear it in Calvary Chapel circles all the time. Um, don't worry about advertising. Don't worry about lots of glitz and all that stuff. Just feed the sheep. Healthy sheep multiply. And all you got to do is feed them. I was listening to Joe Foch, pastor of Philadelphia, and he said it was a great uh, object lesson. They were sitting there, they were in... Uh, over in Israel, and they were sitting there talking about different things and uh, how Calvary Chapel has, you know, kind of just grows. And you can't explain it. People come in and they try to, you know, go, well, you know, what's your, what's the secret? It's like, well, we just teach the Bible. Um, and he was saying that they were sitting there and they were actually uh, near a shepherd. And the shepherd came out and threw f- food in the, the trough and it made noises and all the sheep came right there. The idea is, look, you feed the sheep. They, they're healthy, they'll reproduce. Now, no doubt, don't you think, Peter was having flashbacks as he wrote this particular section about feeding the Lord's sheep. You guys remember the flashback would have been to a morning breakfast on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Right, Peter, our author, had let Jesus down exquisitely. Boy, it's hard to let down the Lord harder than Peter had. He, remember when Peter thought uh, a few chapters before that that he was better than the other sheep, that he was not in the fellowship, he was, among, he was higher than them. When he said, look, all the rest of them, Jesus will desert you, but not me. I'm with you all the way. Right? But he had failed so miserably, exquisitely. He denied Jesus three times, and over that morning breakfast, Jesus restored him by asking him a question three times. Do you love me, Peter? Well, I like you. Well, feed my sheep. Do you love me, Peter? Well, I know you're asking me if I agape love you, but I've proven that I I don't, but I want to. Well, tend my lambs. Do you love me, Peter? Feed my sheep. Three times, Jesus said to Peter, this is what I want you to do. Just feed my 
sheep. And again, that's a huge word there, that middle word, feed my sheep. Go back to our text here. 1 Peter 5 verse 2 says, Shepherd the flock of God which is among you. Did you notice that? It doesn't say uh, to the, the pastor at Calvary Chapel of the Lakes, it doesn't say, shepherd the flock of Doug, which is among you. Matter of fact, it doesn't even say, shepherd the flock that God has given you. No, it says, shepherd God's flock. He hasn't given you anything. He's put them under your care temporarily. You're just a substitute teacher kind of thing. He says, feed God's flock that he's put among you. Y'all, that's a reminder to anyone in authority especially to pastors, church leaders, but parents, the Christian man or Christian woman with any kind of influence, the sheep are not yours. They are His. They are the flock of God. And verse 4 says, look down at verse 4, and it says that the, the real shepherd, the chief shepherd, is going to show up one day and you'll give an account. How did you care for the sheep that are among you? How did you feed them? Application. Consider the flock among you. Right? That, that group or person that you identified early on in this message. Whether it's your kids or your, your neighbors or somebody at work. Consider the flock among you. Are you feeding them spiritually? Uh, husbands, are you feeding the flock? Parents, are you feeding the flock? Or are you so super busy doing other things that you never have time to feed? Are they learning by example and exhortation by those spiritual principles that help them to grow? Um, Maybe, again, if you're looking for application, maybe you're like, you know what, I I still don't have a flock. I mean, I can look around and I I don't have a a flock. Again, maybe, and this isn't a, a... clever push but um, and and again we're not one of those churches that has to beg which is awesome but we do have you know uh, you could teach Sunday school you can do these things to to invest to teach uh, the shepherd the the flock of God that's among you Um, basically growth happens when you feed sheep whether they're little sheep with runny noses or big sheep right so remember, first of all, he says that you are a fellow sheep. But number two, feed the flock. Number three, and this is this is probably really where Peter's going most of all. Remember your proper frame of mind as a shepherd. He says, serving as overseers. Overseer, it's episcopoi. Um, epi means upon. Scopo, scopio uh, is where we get the word microscope, telescope. It means to look. So he's saying... Serving as those who look upon or look after. Probably the best way to say it is, those that God has put among you, look after them. The under-shepherd's sole job, again, starting with the pastor, but all all in different areas that he's speaking, the under-shepherd's sole job is to look after the chief shepherd's sheep. That's the main thing. Not to fleece the flock, which unfortunately there's a lot of. Not to feast on the flock, which unfortunately there's a lot of. And not to force the flock to submit, but to tend to care for, to look after the flock. That's where Peter's going. 
And he gives three examples of how our frame of mind should look. If you notice, he's going to say in the end of verse 2 and, and verse 3, he says, don't do it this way, do it this way. Don't do it this way, do it this way. Don't do it this way, do it this way. He says, it shouldn't look like this, it should look like this. It shouldn't look like this, it should look like this. It shouldn't look like this, it should look like this. Here it goes, not by compulsion, but willingly. Not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Not as, nor as being lords over those who entrusted you, but being examples to the flock. So now, Peter begins to get a little more detailed, a little more specific, as far as, you know, what should your attitude be when you tend to the flock? First he says, not by compulsion, but willingly. Maybe you've heard this conversation or something like it. Uh, It happens in a bedroom. It says, honey, you need to get up. You'll be late for church. I'm tired. I don't want to. It's so boring. Besides, no one there likes me anyway. But honey, you really need to go. But why? Because you're the pastor. (laughs) He says, serve the, the flock of God. Tend them, not it says, by compulsion, but willingly. Or you could say, not forced, but freely. Not coerced, but cheerfully. I'm in right now in Leviticus in the, in the quiet time that I have and I am struck by how many times that I have read where the Lord says, look, bring your offering, your gift, whatever it is, freely. Don't bring it because you have to. Bring it because you want to. So basically here Peter calls for an attitude check. Isn't it safe to say that there's nothing worse than somebody serving whether it's in a church or in government or in your family or at your job, serving by compulsion. Because I have to. Ladies, I dare say if you got a Valentine's gift on Sunday, you know, this awesome box of chocolate maybe, but on the card it says from your husband, under duress, <laughs> enjoy. Um, honey, I'm giving you this because I have to. It kind of takes all the joy out of it, right? Matter of fact, I was thinking, we, I think, I hope that we would get a decent report card from the Lord on this. Um, sometimes I'll feel like, hey, I need to ask someone if, if they would be interested in this kind of ministry. Or, um, you know, I think this, this seems to me that this might be something that you'd be good at. Or is this something that you might be interested in? I hope that, I, that some of you could say amen to this. I've, I feel like the Lord has told me, look, it's okay to ask people. Um, but make sure that when you do, that you let them off the hook. That it's like, look, if you want to do this, awesome. And if you don't, really, it's okay. Um, because there is, there's nothing worse than being forced into something and then being like, okay, well, here I am. It's like all of the joy is sapped completely out of it. Um, Application, here we go. Are there things that you are doing for the Lord and your attitude is more like compulsion than cheerful? This might sound radical, but I think God might say, look, either drop them or do them with a happy heart. You know, that's the, that's the key word with little ones, right? Do you have a happy heart? 
think sometimes the Lord would say the same thing. Look, don't do something for me and then say, oh, man, I, I, so, I slave, man. There's just, oh, man, nobody, nobody knows what I'm going through. It's like, well, just don't do it. I, I think, thankfully, again, I know how the Lord works and he might be reading some of your mail right now, but thankfully, I don't know of any, any of them, okay? Um, I feel like we're, I'm blessed to, to know, uh, to, to get to see real cheerful uh, service. So Peter addresses, I think, first the attitude, but then he addresses the motivation. He says, not by compulsion, but willingly. Then he says, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Anybody have a King James version tonight? The King James, instead of dishonest gain, has the word filthy lucre. I think that's a better translation. And it's more fun to say, too. Filthy lucre. Go ahead, say it. Okay. It says, not for filthy lucre, but eagerly. See, the idea is not just dishonest gain. We, we look at that and we're like, oh, okay, he must mean you know, totally stealing from people. Um, of course, it does include that, right? Of course, this verse includes the, all the charlatans on TV who say, look, if you don't give, God's going to go broke. I mean, I know he's God, but he's going to go broke. If you don't come through, then this ministry is going to fall down. It's going to be your fault. Or the, the guys that say, well, the Spirit is telling me there's a hundred people out there who are going to give $1,000 each. All of that junk, of course, is included. But the word is not really so much dishonest gain, although it's included. I think he's speaking to real leaders in real Bible-honoring churches because, again, the idea is not so much dishonest gain, it's this. It really means base gain. That is having a low, less than noble motivation. Make sense? See, Peter is saying, not, he's not just laying into those charlatans. He's saying to real people in real pews, in real decent churches. He's saying to pastors, saying to leaders, what is your motivation? And he pinpoints in particular the paycheck, right? He says, if that's your motivation, that is base. That is low. It's, it's not noble. It's not good. And I can tell you, if that is, you know, let's just take the scenario of a pastor. Let's say that you want to be a pastor. Um, first of all, I guess there's some churches that will pay you well, but most of them are churches with real people, and you're not going to necessarily be the, the top dollar person. But more than that, I can guarantee you that if that's your motivation, it won't be long before you are going through the motions, before you're just like mailing it in. But he says not for filthy lucre or base motivation, base gain, not for just a paycheck, but he says eagerly. That word is prothemos. Uh, pro means before, and themos is the place where we get thermos or thermostat. It means heat, fire. Uh, the idea is passion. Um, I think Peter, Peter is saying, uh, just as he said, look, here's an attitude check to pastors and to leaders. Now he says, look, here's a motivation check. Are you leading or serving, doing stuff for the Lord because of a paycheck? For services rendered. I think he's saying that obviously to paid pastors. Or is it because of a passion for the sheep? Now, again, if that only means in terms of money, then most of you guys just get to look at me and go, so, are you? 
But if instead you instead of you play, take the word pay check and replace it with pay off, then all you guys are dragged into the arena with me here. In other words, why do you do what you do? The good stuff that you do, whether it's teaching in children's ministry or singing on the worship team or uh, even the things that you do uh, in the in the secular realm, which is ministry, it really is. Why do you do what you do? Is it because of a payoff? Not a paycheck, but a payoff. We have in our church... So many, again, I'm kind of awestruck and like, wow, this is cool to be part of a church that's like this. We have so many volunteers who don't get paid, but you can still have a motivation that is base, that is less than noble. You can still have a, instead of a paycheck that you're working for, it's a payoff. Do you serve or feed or teach or do you clean floors at the church or do you serve your family? Do you, all, do, you do any of it so that it may pay off? For you, whether it would be monetary payoff, recognition, position, power, any of that stuff. Do you do that because of a payoff or you, do you do it, as Peter says, because of a passion? See, what Peter is pointing out here, and this is, this is huge, is the difference between a hireling and a shepherd. You know the difference between a hireling and a shepherd? Well, hopefully you will soon. John 10, turn with me. Peter, or Jesus talks about a hireling and a shepherd. John 10, verse 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep, but a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he's a hireling. And does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. And I know my sheep. And am known by my own. This is another principle. It's cool because when we go through these verses. I see Calvary Chapel's model. A lot of it just kind of seeping through. This is something that Pastor Chuck. uh, From Calvary Chapel. um, Costa Mesa. The first Calvary Chapel. This was something that he beat into. uh, Not literally. But beat into those who. Uh, went out from that church and that those people then beat into me and other people is this. We are not to be pastors. Shepherds are not to be hirelings, but shepherds. Because a hireling watches the sheep for a paycheck. And when that is his motivation, when that's what's driving him, when he sees a wolf coming, what's he going to do? I'm out of here. I mean, no, no money is worth this. A hireling watches sheep for a paycheck. A shepherd watches sheep for a passion. And he lays down his life for them. Peter says, remember, and interesting, he's saying this to a church that is literally surrounded by wolves, right? Because of the persecution. And he says to those shepherds, look, which are you? Are you a hireling? Or are you a shepherd? See, a real pastor, a real leader will think like Paul. Remember when Paul said, look, because um, there was some, some issues with the Corinthians about, well, should we pay him? Should we not? All that stuff. He's basically like, well, I think uh, uh, a workman is worthy of his hire. But he's like, it doesn't matter because if you don't pay me, I, I'm compelled. I have to do this. He's like, 
a, a real pastor's heart is whether you pay me or not, I must preach the gospel. Okay, did I just say that out loud? <laughs> but it's true. Whether you pay me or not, I must preach the gospel if I'm called. Right? So what he's saying is it's a difference between a, a paycheck or a payoff and just the passion for the same sh- for the sheep that he's entrusted you with to say, Lord, these are your sheep and I want to care well for them because I want the uh, I want the for you to say, Well done, good and faithful servant. All right, first Peter chapter five, verse one. We're just uh, re-reading, getting a running start. The elders who are among you, I exhort. I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly. Not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. And then he says that the third frame of mind under, for the under-shepherd is this. Um, not a power trip, but a prototype. Because he says, verse 3, Nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Peter says, regarding the mindset of a leader, particularly in the church, don't lord it over those entrusted to you. Chances are, if you've been around the church any length of time, I hope not this church, but if you've been around the church any length of time, you know the type. The power grabbers. The Barney Fife's. Right? Yep. I'm a leader. Got my badge. My one bullet. And I got the keys to the Huskow. And you got to do what I say because I am the authority. Peter would know all about that, wouldn't he? Wasn't that the thing that he and the other disciples argued over all the time? Who gets the one bullet? <laughs> right? Turn to Matthew 20. Let me remind you about that. We have a classic case of the power grab. You remember? James and John went for a power grab and they were so clever they used their mama. (laughs) Hey mom, will you go to Jesus and intercede for us so that we could be second and third in your kingdom? (laughs) It's kind of, I don't know, there's just something tacky about all of that. So it says, Matthew 20, verse 24, and when the ten heard it, this pow- about this power grab, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers, probably because they didn't think of it first. But Jesus called them to himself and watch this. He said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. They, they just get done with this power grab and Jesus says to them, listen guys, this is the way it's going to work in my church. The leaders don't lord it over. They lead by example. They are just fellow sheep. They'll be the first ones out of the gate, first ones to the slaughter. The leaders don't lord it over. No, they lead by example. They lead as servants. John 13, in case you didn't think he was serious, they're having another argument about who's going to be the greatest. And Jesus says, wait a second, guys. He gets up, gets a a towel around his waist, takes the, the position of the lowliest servant, and he washes their feet. 
Think about that. The hands that formed the universe washing smelly feet. And he says here in this text in uh, Matthew 20, look at verse 28, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. You get it, right? Peter says, look, leadership, real leadership is nothing about a power chip. No, it's a prototype. Matter of fact, we're going to see that in our text. Uh, back to 1 Peter 5, verse 3. Peter has finally learned, don't you think, that at what Jesus was driving at all those times. Look, leadership is not lordship. It is leadership. Let me say that again. Leadership is not lordship. It is leadership. Meaning, you lead. You don't drive the flock. You lead the flock. It's not a power grab, but a prototype. Look at it, verse 3. Nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. That's where I get the word prototype. The word example is typos. Uh, the word typewriter. You realize the, the reason that they call it that is because it's... A typos is to strike a blow, to make an imprint. Um, a typewriter works by striking a blow against the page, right? Uh, putting an imprint, a pattern upon something. So Peter is saying, look, leadership is not about um, a power grab, but about a prototype. you saying, this is how to do it. Here, watch this. Now you do it. Um, unfortunately, some pastors... I think all too many pastors. I hope it's not not the one in this church. Some pastors and leaders look at the church as their own perf- personal fiefdom. Or should I say fiefdom. <laughs> right? That hey, this is this is the country that I'm ruling over and these are my subjects. Jesus says there's nothing further from the truth. There's nothing that could be more wrong than that. Peter says, if that's the way you think about leadership, fiefdom, fiefdom, that is not Jesus' model. The Lord of all of the universe took the lowest job out of those 12, 13 men. Couldn't, wouldn't it be fair to say, if anyone could have justly been on a power trip, would it not have been the Lord? The Word became flesh. That trip that he took from heaven to earth could have been a power trip. But no, he came to be a prototype. To say, this is how you live a godly life. This is how you live connected with a father. Right? The Bible says again, Philippians 2, that he emptied himself, became a prototype. Application. This hopefully should be obvious tonight. Do you enjoy power? A little too much. Or maybe at all. Are you one that looks, now that you think of it, for the best seats in the synagogue? Is there a job in the, in the church or in your family or in your, in your career, whatever, that you won't do because it's beneath you? Do you lead? And again, I believe that he has each one of us in a, a leadership position of some kind. Do you lead by power? Hey, you'll do this because I say it. Or do you lead... By prototype. How wrong is it that we ever really say the words and mean them? Hey, do what I say and not what I do. 
Shouldn't we be able to say like Paul did, do what I say because it's what I do? Do you lead by power or by prototype? Do you lead by executive order or by example? Because that's where Peter's going here. Philippians 4.9 says that uh, Peter, uh, Paul was writing this. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, do these things. And the God of peace will be with you. It, that should be what we strive for and what we achieve hopefully more and more. Hey, just do what I do. Because what I'm telling you to do, I do as well. The, the whole point is, of this whole text... Look, the the chief shepherd is watching. And he's evaluating how you lead those that he's put among you. He says, verse 3, Nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flocks. To the flock. Which brings us to the last F. That is the finish line. Let me review for you. He says, look, remember you're a fellow sheep. Remember to feed the flock that's among you. Remember, you need to have the right frame of mind, not as lording it over, not for uh, filthy lucre, not for any of those things. And now he says, keep focused on the finish line. Peter says, focus on the finish line. You've been given oversight of some of his precious sheep. And he says, you are to feed them. You're to look out for them. You're to care for them for him. They, They are his sheep. And, and to focus on the day where he appears. Look at verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. The word appears. This is one of my... Yeah, see, he, Scott knows where I'm going because I do this so often. The word appears is the word phaneru. And in uh, a lot of times you'll see it uh, translated manifest. And this is my favorite illustration. To show you what the word manifest means. Okay, you all see the Bible, right? Okay, now you don't. Is it still in existence in the room? Yes, but now it's manifest. To make manifest means that which is always present, but now you see it. So it says, when the chief shepherd appears, that that means he didn't come from some other place. No, it means he's right here, right now, and there's a chance that tonight he could go... Here I am. And, and Peter says, you don't know when that time's going to be. So be good under shepherds. When the chief shepherd appears, when he just appears, even though he's been here all along and he's been watching, when the chief shepherd appears, if you are doing right, if you, um, if you feed the flock that's among you. Let, let, me, let me put it in terms of, of you know, how I would read this for, as a pastor from, from Peter, the, uh, a fellow pastor. He says, look, when our Lord, speaking to me, Doug, when our Lord appears, when he manifests, he's going to reward you. If, if you have fed the flock with the right frame of mind, with, without the power grabs, without, uh, but being a prototype, if you haven't done it just for a paycheck, but you've done it with passion, if you haven't done it because you were pressured to, but pleasantly. If you haven't done it because you were coerced to, but cheerfully. If you do all those things, Peter says, there's going to be an awesome crown of glory. It says that does not fade away. I picture, I hope, you, I hope I've hope i painted it well enough that you can picture with the flock that's among you. The idea that he's given you this little flock and you're supposed to get from here to there, feed them, Right? 
We don't know when he's coming back, but someday he'll go poof and he's right here. And then you can say to him, here's your flock. Here they are. And he says, he, you will receive the crown of glory. It means to, uh, to deposit with. Kind of what he's saying is, in exchange for these sheep, I'm giving you this crown of glory that does not fade away. Most of you know this illustration. Uh, how many of you are watching the, the, the Winter Olympics? Okay. You're like, uh, yeah, so shut up so I can get back to them. Um, what you, you, see, you see in the, in the Olympics, you see these medals, right? And the, the, the big presentation, all that. Um, that's the, the same frame of reference that Peter, that Paul would have. They're thinking about the Olympics that were back in Greece. And it says the crown of glory that does not fade away. The reason those words are there is because back then, the, the, the recipient, you know, the, the gold medal winner, they would get a, a crown of laurel wreaths. And there would be a big, you know, this guy's great, awesome. And then he would put it on, and then he would walk back home five, six days, and by the time he got home, it would be wilted. It's like, wow, that faded fast. Peter says, the thing that he's going to give you, right, the, 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 the reward will not fade like that. So basically, Peter says, finish well. With the flock that's among you. Watch over them. Care for them. Do it with the right heart. With the right attitude. Don't quit. Finish well. And I promise you the glory will be worth it.